0: And I want us to read a passage that's very familiar to all of us. you probably read it Christmas this morning, several times. I know that we've read it, I guess, ever since we had Christmas as the family and kids have growing up. And before we open presents, we we'll sit around the tree and read Luke chapter 2. about the story of Advent Christ, and Christ being born. But I want to look at it from a little different angle today, because we're looking through verse 11 chapters. I think the 11th verse. We can if you want. We'll start with 11th verses of uh, Luke chapter two. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and this taxing was first made when Syria was the governor of Syria, and all that went to be taxed every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea and into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and he David. David married to be taxed with Mary his the south to brave And so it was that, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in the manger, because so there was no room for them. in the And they were in the same country shepherds abided in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord, came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day, in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Well I'd like us to look at this text, these eleven verses, and I want to first of all consider that the book ends of this the 11 chapters. In the very first verse, excuse me, I can't Verse. So in verse 1, we have Peter Augustus. And then in verse 11, we have Christ the Lord. We have Peter, and we have Christ. And what I want to do is look at those two kingdoms. I want to look at Peter, and his power, and his desire, and his anger. And then I want to look at Christ, and Christ, doing the will of God, and that's real, authentic power and service. Brother Andrew's already talked about following after Christ means that you put aside your own ambitions, your own desires, and you serve, and love, and put on the virtues that are described in Christ. So today is March the 15th. For so those of you that have read the Shakespeare of Play, you it either, of there's the I Mark you remember in that play there was, uh, there was a, a fateful, the fateful days of Julius Caesar is the day that sort of changed Rome. Because on this very day, March 15th, many years ago, 2,059 years ago, Julius Caesar was assassinated. Now, the Caesar that we just read about in Luke chapter 2 was his nephew. There is a relationship with lines that Julius Caesar has all read about, heard about, and we you know that the Shakespeare play is a work of literature, but it is based on the cultural events that took place. And that day, it is actually Julius Caesar was assassinated. He was murdered in the Roman Senate, surrounded by those that he thought were his friends, those that he counted on to count for him. So the buildup we have there is that there's Julius Caesar, he's building Rome, Rome is a republic that has senators that represent each outlying district of Rome. Some of them are feeling like Julius Caesar is taking too much power and he's making uh unilateral decisions and he's making decrees such as the one that for example, like the one that Caesar Augustus makes in Luke the two, that all the world should be taxed. He's introducing new taxation systems, he's building new infrastructure, and he's sort of bypassing the senate and absorbing all this power, and this the power. In the Gaelic Wars, where he was acquiring new lands and wealth, Spain, his fame and power were growing. One person in particular that worried about this was a close confidant and senator. His name was Brutus, and he was what many people say a true patriot of Rome. And he wasn't looking to assassinate Julius Caesar because he wanted power himself. He truly desired that Rome would be continued as a republic and thrive. But there were others, though, that had self-regeneration in you know, the motive, and they wanted to be So one of them in particular, Cappius, convinced Brutus to inspire with him a plot to assassinate Julius Caesar. So on that night, the Eye of March, March the 15th, they uh, made up this plan, this device, to get Julius Caesar out of his home on a stormy, rainy night. I totally different than what we have out today. And those two, with others, betrayed Caesar and killed him. And there's no doubt that Caesar Augustus, that we just read about, was, you know, we know that he was born during this time. He's aware of what was going on. And there's no doubt that he felt a sense of betrayal of all those men that betrayed his uncle. I don't know what his personal ambitions were at that time, but he's about to be thrust onto the scene. But so you remember in the play when Brutus is there and Julius Caesar discovers him, and there's that line, "Julius, student Brutus, you know, talking to Brutus, saying, "You two, like you or either are among the traitors as well." And I think from what I've read, it was that point when that was the fatal blow that killed Caesar. That was that betrayal, that was the crushing of the spirit, and he died right after that. And there was another senator that. Like, not part of that. See, Mark Anthony. And, and of course, you know, in the play, uh, Julius Caesar, he was the one that spoke at the funeral and really so turned the hearts of all the countrymen of Rome back to Julius Caesar. And they said, well, this is a great loss. He was a great man. He wasn't out for his own good. He was looking out for us and he's been betrayed. And so there's all up and down around who we serve. We serve. and Brutus, are they still Caesar? They hurt us against them, they made sense that we didn't have our own interests apart. And Mark Anthony said, no, he did. No, he was a good man. So in all of that, we've got to a treachery and we've got to. The... going around. You wind up having, like, eight minutes. If you do just read about, out, and you're here. And Mark Anthony is joining together. join their arms together. And they're going to go route out the betrayal and uh, the treachery of Brutus and happy. So we have those two on this side, and we have those traded on his side and they go down. But so the reason I bring this up is I think it's an interesting historical connection because nobody refused the fact that Caesar lived and that Julius Caesar was a Roman emperor and that he was moving the republic away from a Roman republic into an empire, but he was in his really sole authority and power. No one just that. But at the same time, all this is happening. We have God who is sovereignly in control of all of these events. And we have those two armies, Mark Antony and Octavian, who are Octavian being and nephew, of Caesar, who are the go battle against these traitors, through the King's And they actually fight in a city that we all know, and that is Philippi. So what happens, you have Rome over here in the west, and you have Philippi, the city, in this area of Greece and Macedonia, And you have this battle going on, and they fight all the way from Rome, crossing the Aegea like, which is this road that Rome built, and, the, and parts of that road are still here today, and you can walk on that road, here in Greece. The they fight all the way across that road, and they wind up in Philippi in this battle, where Mark Anthony and Octavian defeat the traitors Brutus and Cassius. Those two actually commit suicide because their armies are routed and they know that it's all lost. And then in another death political move on um, Octavian's part, he actually, about ten years later, goes to battle against his former partner in all of this. And he routes uh, Mark Anthony and Cassius in a Great Naval Battle on the west coast. Of Greece. So you start seeing how the power is brought in and given to Caesar Augustus. So now, when you look back at chapter 2, let's look at that again. Luke chapter 2. You see that Luke is writing here, an inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it says, And it came to pass in these days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. At this point, Octavian had assumed soul control of no longer a Roman Republic, it's an empire, was an emperor. In fact, when he was born, there were Roman astrologers that made the claim that he was the Son of God. They said that Apollo, the god Apollo, uh, was his father and that he was the Son of God and that he would be the king that would usher in peace on earth. So when we sing at Christmas time, the joy to the world, we think that there's a king, a peace on earth because so we're seeing that scene in this rise and perfect scene king, between the kingdom king of the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the same time, within the same community, it's almost like there was someone around a gas station today who's claiming that someone else was the son of God and the kingdom of the Lord and had such power that he can make the a tree, like in the chapter 2 verse one, that we all had to go to wherever we were born or wherever our family was, was from in the past. That was what the environment was black in that time in the Lord. And Verse one teacher Justice, he who thought and claimed and the people thought and the people claimed the Rome that he was God that he was the son of God and that he would bring in peace that would last forever. So we know when the story goes on it that Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth and went into Judea and the city of David which was right he going to the it to David. And look at verse 9. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Now it had been a long time since the glory of the Lord had been made manifest to the children. Uh, we read about uh, the tabernacle of the wilderness, or Solomon's temple, and you know, we had the glory of the Lord, that kind of glory that was in that temple and we was there, and he witnessed and he saw the majesty of the glory of the Lord. But for, and I can't remember the exact happening, Maybe mean, hundred years that was gone. So when the Babylonians destroyed the temple, that the of the Lord had been removed from them. So there was this drought, this period where the of the Lord of the Lord had not been shown upon them until this exact moment. Which you know is ironic in a way, because here we have just a few years before that we have the birth of Octavian, who is proclaimed to be the Son of God, and all these Roman soldiers and all these wise men claim that he was the Son of God, but here you have born Christ, the real Son of God, God himself, part of that eternal God, that trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Christ being born fully man, but also fully God, and the glory of the Lord shining all around those that are in the field shepherds. In verse 10, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all evil. For unto you is born this day the city of David, a Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, shall find the day of wrath and swollen clothes, lying in the manger. And look at 13. And suddenly there was lifting the angel and multitude of the heavens was praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill will. Amen. So these angels, this heavenly host, was proclaiming that this is truly the Son of God that will bring everlasting peace. They knew that the peace that claimed that Pax Romana as years and years of prosperity under the Roman system, would come to an end, and indeed it did. Today, Caesar Augustus, and by the way, the name Augustus means Son of God. In fact, they had coins made with his image on it saying Son of God on the bottom of it. They were scared. The Roman citizens really, if they didn't believe it, they should have played along well. and They, they thought this was the Son of God. The irony is that these are just as assuming all that power through body through blood Christ to assume that power in the most humble of ways, being born and a manger. And you see the differences in that how one is taken by force and the other is assumed by the will of God, doing the will of God. So who of us can imagine coming to earth as King of all the earth and coming in Christ in this world. This is our sinful history. But as we read in the New Testament, for instance, the writings of Peter or Paul, Andrew and over today, we read about men who are actually in the presence of this consistent Lord of Lord. Peter being there, Paul being transformed in a wrathful, dramatic way on the Roman Matthew, seeing that glory before them. And they knew that even though there was a Roman emperor, these are adjusted, miles away from and the complete power of the world at that time, Rome, they knew that he didn't have the real power to transform the heart of men. Yeah, he can he could make them bow to me, but he couldn't make their heart change. He couldn't change the heart of men. in the minute Only Christ did that. But you know there have been men that have tried to do that ever since. You know if you look at, you know, if you look at various empires and nations that have been built, for instance Germany in the 1930s, a lot of the imagery you see of National Socialist or Nazi Party is taken directly from Rome. You look at a lot of the banners that were behind you know, there was a big glacial painting where um, Hitler was making speeches. It looked a lot like Rome. In fact, even a lot of the imagery on looked like Rome, The eagles and the branches, the olive branches that come out—I mean, those, those are all Roman-type symbols. Because there's a desire for man to build his own empire and his own glory. Andrew was talking about the will and our and overcoming our wills, or, or um, not following our own will. There was a, a movie that was made about the Third Reich. Um, filmmaker named Lenny Riesenstahl, if you haven't heard of it, she wrote this community, of, produced a community called The Triumph of the Will, and it was all about how the first and the National Socialists triumphed over their, their own wills, or their, they, they put their wills in the commission to achieve great things, and that was this world power that they were created in the 1930s in Germany. The Christ schemes look totally different. They look like the human of service, the human of Alright, so that's kind of where we are uh, up to this point. If so you look at chapter 2 of Luke, you've got so those two bookends, you've got Caesar Augustus who claims to be king, and then you've got Christ coming in and actually doing the work of being, you know, the saving the people and following the will of God. So let's look, though. So I thought it was an interesting connection as we look at, you know, what happened in the eyes of March, at the eyes of March. We look at that big battle transpired. took place all from Rome all the way to Philippi. So I'd like for us to turn to the flipping letter, Paul's letter to the flipping, and I'm not going to go quickly into the but so remember Paul has witnessed this glory of Christ. He's witnessed what it's like to be in the presence of the real power we've seen. Not Rome, not his faith power, not his the supreme power, that's fleeting and won't laugh and doesn't laugh. So we know that Caesar Augustus is not sitting on the right hand of God today. He's only Jesus Christ did. He's just read that in Psalm one ten. But in the Philippian letter Paul Paul's letters before they to book at chapter 1, verse 21. One of the things we need to do as we're understanding it, Paul wrote this letter to us. As a result of his experience from Christ, we need to work and understand what our purpose is. That's true. So in Philippians 1.21 we read, Paul writes this, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is in But if I live in the flesh, this is in the fruit of my living. Yet what I shall choose I want not. For I am in a straight seat, having a desire to depart and of Christ, is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide continually with you, for all your further enjoying faith. it. You know, Paul is writing this letter from prison in Rome, and he is writing this letter. If we look at Acts chapter six, we see the founding of the church, and we see this fall. Off, um, in that chapter, Paul files for their feet, their stones, their lips. And this happens more than once, and Paul being in prison here, and his body has just been battered, and you know, the human body can only take so much. And so Paul, we gonna glimpse go here what Paul's life is like, and he's saying, well, really, I've gone through so much, my body's been broken so much. I've been stoned, I've been whipped, I've been beaten, I've been in prison, and I'm just, I am just ready to be in Christ. But even through all of that physical torture, because says, 21 what 24 first of, chapter one, nevertheless, you abide buy His flesh when you need it. Talk about it, but i about putting other needs above yourself. All the same, nevertheless, you abide in the flesh. Even though I want to be used to cry, my, my physical body, needs to be retired I, I think it can go much further physically is more useful for me But having this confidence because and knowing them I know that I shall abide with you for so your further and joy of faith. That's a demonstration of what the power of Christ looks like because Paul would never I mean could you imagine Paul saying that before Christmas? When we read the history of Paul, when we read that he was this man it was all about himself. He was all about proclaiming his pedigree, or all about his lineage, or his power, or what he could do. Like, he could go, he could have the year of the council, you know, the Jewish thank you, and the Pharisees, and he could get special permission of leaders to Christians. And he had this power. But now he's saying, you though know, I have this power, i lay it aside because I know. You need me more than I need to to That—that's that's a, a transformation that only Christ in mind. real power? Look at verse, or chapter two, verse five. I'm going to look further at what real power looks like. It's Christ power. Corinthians <coughs> so chapter two, verse five. Let this mind be immediate, which was also in Christ. Being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion after man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also had highly exalted him and given him a name which was above every name. And that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of the angels in heaven and angels in earth and the under the earth, and that every tongue should to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God to the Father. That power, and that's power, not a transforming power. Christ's power that is demonstrated by his willingness to lay down his own life and suffer and be deserving. Compare that to the power that Caesar Augustus tried to manifest throughout all of the kingdom. About all of the known world of Rome. Totally different. A lot of times, though, we have this mistaken image of Christ as being sort of like really weak, um, sort of modern-day, like intellectual Oxford kind of feel, not very masculine, wearing long hair and dirty sock sandals and walking around like he's getting from the city is not the image of Christ that you need in the scripture of You know, we read in Matthew uh, chapter 21 that Christ went into the temple and routed out the militia, and that was a very intense thing I said. And it wasn't a thing where he just went in and said, yeah, you have to be sure in or uh, he was addressing a real threat, not himself, God, but to God, to the God's elders, and that's where that righteous indignation came from, he was demonstrating his power as it related to God, his name, and God's glory, by his body, not again. That is the difference in power between human and us and Christ is not weak. Christ is powerful, but He's also a servant. And power is constrained. That's what real power is about. The power that knows its purpose, knows what it possesses. Christ is to do well own In chapter 3 of what he calls over how that we should live with Christ and live with disciples of Christ. Look at chapter 3 verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ. Let us therefore, as many a we perfect, be thus-minded. And if any, if in anything needs to be otherwise minded, God shall reveal to yet this unto you. Nevertheless, we'll see of all of issues, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. All the same, we need to strive with all of you to faithful, followers of Christ, and pray that God will show us where we fall short. If you let us therefore at any time be perfect, let us mind them that anything can be otherwise. Because any part of our lives is otherwise. It's not perfect. It's not following Christ it's continually trying to live up to Christ's example. God should reveal that of. And yet I think it's important to remember that as these events unfolded, and this is right in the midst of a real power struggle in the world. We have this, he was, At Caesar, at this time, Caesar Augustus was gone. It was Caesar's idea that Caesar was I think it was his grandson that he actually adopted. And uh, so Caesar Augustus is dead at So they talk about that power. He's the one who proclaimed all through the Roman world that he's the one who's in the Latin power. Now he's gone. But Christ, Paul from him. Christ was that real power and he was just born on died, resurrected, died on the cross, rose again was on the right hand of God's Father. And Christ is saying now, I'm going to bring it all to him. What's important thing I can you here to look in the church? Is that even though I'm in prison, even though I'm about to die, even though he's asking me he to go ahead and die, and try. I need to tell you something. And one of those things is that we have to thrive after Christ is all that he did. And it's so easy for us to get wrapped up in like, that power struggle. Even within ourselves. in Romans chapter seven, that little nature, when we want to serve our own flesh. It's like a, it's like a little mini battle that we fought between our Amen, Mark Anthony, and, and Greece and Catholics. But it's fought within ourselves. It's with a battle where we find where our natures want us to put aside Christ and follow after our own nature and after our own desires follow after what we want. And Christ and, and fall Paul through these ways of the Holy Spirit in verse 15, 143 and let there therefore not be that. Let us be like minded. Just be perfect. Be thus minded. And if anything be otherwise minded, why shall reveal what you do upon you? That should be our prayer every day. We're on to say in chapter four. Chapter 4, verse 12. Because I know both how to be awake, and I know how to abound. Every way and in all things I am constructed in the middle of a full and hungry, but to abound and suffer me. I can do all things through Christ, which circumcised me. Notwithstanding, ye have done well, and you've been to me, but it's my So he's closing out his letter and saying, "Just Christian, now you quit me of all things, that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from afternoon, no church means to be with me that has received me he, to receive me but we do you know, Many of them are having a spirit the one gospel supporter You're saying that hey, I didn't see it from any other churches. But you did it. And you supported me and you showed me kindness and we all need to be supporting each other in the work working ministry. And even if it's just an encouraging word or a challenging word or you know, or we really communicating with each other and saying this is what God's leading in my heart this week when been about and how God's convicting me I've about in the word and you to work on it. And as this church communicated with Paul and this time that we needed to be the prison, we needed to be this one place. We needed to be this one place. We needed Verse 16 says, For even in Bethlehem of my gift, you give this one and again unto my blessing. Not because I desire this, but I desire to preach that when you are bound, you are bound. But I have all and bound. I am full, having the seed of aphrodite, which means the percent of you that testimony God. Look at verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to the, rich, the riches and glory by Jesus Christ. Now unto God, not Father, be glory forever and ever Amen. earth. He on to everything in Jesus Christ. The brethren, which are with me, Jesus, which means he all the things of the to be made that are in Jesus that are in Jesus' household. But so many in Rome children are saying there are saints that in Jesus' own household that salute you. So that are knitted together with us are part of the family of God. That's that power that Christ transforms the heart even within Jesus' own household. And Paul is saying the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ." not with you. And then the people of Rome thought that Jesus was their Lord. All no. Even if he was helpful, we know there are people that know the real Lord, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And so what are quotes about saying Jesus is room, like die, or, or water, with me? I'm wrong, I'm not pastor, i or not a pastor, I'm pastor, i So in conclusion, you know, this is the ice of March. This is, the, this is the day that everyone, no one is knowing, the secular story. not the fact that you see still on this day in 44 B.C. Yeah. That really happened, and what really happened afterwards really happened, and that was that there was a great battle that landed in Philippi, the same Philippi that God told Paul to go to and the next chapter 15 to go to this place in Macedonia to go church here. So there was Lydia and her family that needed to be converted. There was a jailer and his family that needed to be converted. And all those two families started watching. And that church in Philippi grew and became one of the purest churches of the New Testament. That's the power of God and the power of God. And because that happened, Paul wrote to them and said, this is how you need and live. Understand the purpose. Understand what real power looks like. It's not Jesus. It's not the state. It's not Barack Obama. It's not the governor of Alabama. It's Christ. Christ is the real power. And we need to strive to live lives is in Christ. We need your joy in all of I hope that's going to be good. be